Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 19, following along with Holiness to the Lord, Exodus chapters 35 to 40, and Leviticus chapters 1, 16, and 19. It's quite a big reading block. Of course, it's, you know, not from this week, because I am, once again, still behind. We're still behind, working on getting caught up on, on where we're at. Uh, it's, uh, I, I've been thinking about this because, obviously, I've been, like, trying to catch up to be on time, and I've been like, man, what the heck happened? In the times I've been doing this podcast, I've had late episodes, obviously, but I've never missed it like I've been missing it lately. And it's just a really interesting experience that, you know, <laughs> life really does get so busy. It's 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 both exciting, but also terrifying. Uh, so I will get caught up, I promise. And I hopefully I'm getting caught up this week. Uh, so anyway, let's start let's start off with this lesson, all right? So, from the introduction, leaving Egypt, as important and miraculous as that was, didn't fully accomplish God's purposes for the children of Israel. Even future uh, prosperity in the promised land wasn't God's ultimate objective for them. These were only steps toward what God really wanted for his people. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How did God seek to make his people holy when they had known nothing but captivity for generations? He commanded them to create a place of holiness to the Lord, a tabernacle in the wilderness, He gave them covenants and laws to guide their actions and ultimately to change their hearts. And when they fell short in their efforts to keep those laws, he commanded them to make animal sacrifices to symbolize atonement for their sins. All of this was meant to point their minds, their hearts, and their lives towards the Savior and the the redemption he offers. He is the true path to holiness for the Israelites and for us. We have all spent some time in the captivity of sin. We are all invited to repent and to leave behind sin and follow Jesus Christ, who has promised, I am able to make you holy. I love this introduction, uh, a couple of reasons, but the, the first, to me, is, is this line in there, uh, kind of the first paragraph in, it says, he commanded them to create a place of holiness to the Lord. Not to find a place of holiness, to create one. And I think ultimately that's what God wants of us. He wants to make us the same as him which he is a creator, he is an organizer, he builds. Um, He doesn't want us to be destroyers, he doesn't want to tear things down, and instead he wants us to help build upon good things and and really to, I don't know, generate growth, right? I think sometimes in in our worldly sense, uh, I at least have fallen into the trap of looking at life like uh, there's only you know, a certain amount of resources and it's a fight for survival on who can have what resources. Or if some, if someone has something that I want, you know, I have to do something to be able to get it from them. And that's, that's not what, you know, God, at least from his example teaches us. It's that we can all be winners. We can all succeed. We can all have ultimate happiness or the things that we desire in our hearts and we can do it together. And so, very different than Satan's example where he tears down, destroys, says that there is that limited 
uh, amount of resources, and the only way to be able to get ahead is to hurt those around you, to destroy what others have, and just obviously very different as it's the, you know, the fight of good and evil. So I really love that sticking out. Now, if you didn't read this, I do recommend that you do, but prior to this, there's the, it's called the Tabernacle and Sacrifice. It's under the Thoughts to Keep in Mind section. And this is what we're going to be talking about today, uh, ultimately, which was from section one, the Lord wants me to become as holy as he is, that section. But I think this thoughts to keep in mind section really does help on the thoughts that I had. First is this part that says, when we understand the symbolism of the tabernacle and animal sacrifice, we gain spiritual insights that will strengthen our faith in Christ. Uh, Obviously, we don't perform animal sacrifice now. Christ fulfilled that when he came and said that in him the law was fulfilled. But up until Christ, animal sacrifices had been performed under every generation. Uh, Well, every righteous generation, right, from Adam. And so Christ fulfilled that by being the great and last sacrifice, right? And so I love that thought that even though reading the Old Testament, the customs, the the rites, the passages are not the same as that we do now in the restored church. The symbolism is very much the same and can help us grow spiritually. And then also this part in that same uh, reading that says, God wants all his children to enter into his presence. He wants a kingdom of priests and priestesses, but our sins prevent us from obtaining that blessing for no unclean thing can dwell with God. And uh, the thing that puts us all on a level playing field which I love and and strive to keep in mind all the time, is that we are all sinners. Yeah, we all sin differently. And true, there are different consequences for various sins. Um, Ultimately, though, according to the law, sinning at all completely negates our ability to reach heaven. And it was through the sacrifice of Christ that we are able to still be able to obtain heaven, to return to our Heavenly Father. And that really does put us on an even playing field, that even if uh, I sin greater than you do, that just by sinning at all, uh, we're both going to end up in the same spot if we do not come unto Christ, seek forgiveness, and change, become a new person, a new man. And so it's really easy to not judge your, your fellow brothers and sisters when you're able to keep in mind that we all require the blood of Christ And so that's where my thoughts really are here on the Lord wants me to become holy as he is. Uh, This also changed my perspective on the sacrament, on the temple, on just a lot of our our worship. So there's a couple scriptures that I want to start out with. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, where where all of these are, verses in verse 5. It says, And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. Agency is required in all of our offerings. Um, No one can force you, ultimately, to give a sacrifice to the Lord. So in in the gospel, God asks us for a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's what he wants us to bring to the, you know, symbolic altar of, of sacrifice, to bring ourselves, to bring our full selves and really give ourselves over to him. Satan, on the other hand, is constantly tempting us to sin, to break our covenants, to break the commandments, to, to go against God's teachings. And when we do that, and we all do, uh, 
I don't know if what this experience is like for you, but my experience is that it hardens my heart. It starts to make me prideful. Uh, Any time I sin, even the smallest degree of sin, it turns me away from God, turns my thoughts away from God, and makes it that I, I, I'm like, you know what? I can do, I can do it on my own. I can be the person I want to be without God. And it's a constant process of having to break down my own pride, pray for help to break down my pride and to turn myself back to God. That's why prayer is so important to do it daily and not just, you know, once a day, but all the time. Uh, because Satan is nonstop in our ears. His servants are nonstop in our ears, tempting us, uh, seeking to bind ourselves, you know, within within his temptations, within his sin. And so it really does take a full, concerted, faith-filled effort of praying, constantly seeking to talk to God, uh, both getting on our knees, offering heartfelt prayers, just thinking in your head and having conversations with God. And that's the part that I, I'm constantly trying to keep in my mind, because it is tough. And Satan is very tricky. He's very sly. And I feel like I feel like, man, if I let any ounce of myself start to think that I'm great and that the blessings in my life don't come from God, but come from me, from my own greatness, Satan immediately is there. He is there like a best friend and is is there to be like, yeah, Dolan, you're awesome. You're great. And I'm not. I could not make anything happen myself. And so it really does have to be almost like a self-humblement humbling process to repent, get on your knees, seek forgiveness every single day, um, and turn your heart to God. But it it all requires agency. No one can force you. I mean, growing up, you know, my mom would always coax me to, to repent and get after me and stuff. But ultimately I, I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't choose to constantly be making these decisions and, and changing my will. And it's tough. It is tough. We're all in it together. So I know you know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's a hard process. It's painful. And it's, it's all the time. It's all the time. Um, so in verse 28, is this next thought. Um, and this was just a, a totally different thought. Does it actually apply to anything? But I wanted to point it out because it was here, but it says, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. The Lord has never been a big fan of uh, body markings whether it be, you know, tattoos or uh, an excessive amount of piercings or whatnot. Like, even the Old Testament, he's pointing this out. So this is the, as far as what, how the, uh, for strength of youth, I think they've changed the name of it now. I don't know. I think it's for strength of youth. But anyway, as far as that goes, where it brings it up, this is nothing new. This is not just a modern-day revelation. This has been since Moses' time. God's just not a big fan of us marking up our bodies. And then in verse 31, regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord. I, I literally only wanted to point this verse out because it has wizards in it. I thought that was good. No, just kidding. Really what it is is I think it says, regard not them that have familiar spirits, meaning there are definitely and clearly those who do partner with evil spirits, uh, whether those who actively partner with evil spirits. Um, and I've, I've met a few people like that in my life, and then also those who I think unconsciously find themselves uh, a pawn of Satan without knowing it. And I do think that's probably the majority of actually people who have dealings with familiar spirits is, I do believe that for the most part, it's it's unconscious, it's unknowing, kind of unwittingly, if you will. 
So the main thing from this section, and the, finally what I really want to talk about here, the thoughts that I had was on this uh, this graph that talks about kind of the objects that were in the temple and what they represent. So it gives us two right off the bat, the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's presence, his covenants and commandments, and then the altar of incense, prayers rising to the Lord. Um, and then it gives us a couple others on our own to go through. And it's always, for me, makes me a little nervous because I'm like, what if I get it wrong? But that's that's the reason for Come Follow Me is for us to have this discussion. So I would love for you as, you, as I'm reading what I thought about, you to be thinking what you thought about. And uh, if there's anything that it's like, Dalton, you missed this one, share it with me. I want to hear it. So the first is candlestick or lampstand. And I thought about symbolically what it represents, but it's light, illumination, knowledge, and... Uh, more than that, though, is like also representing the Holy Ghost and being able to give us, through the Holy Ghost, giving us a complete knowledge. So we we obviously know things. Those who don't have the Holy Ghost, they know things and have knowledge, but true knowledge and true truth comes from God, and it's that light, that illumination. And when we go to the temple now in our modern-day temples, that should be what we're seeking for is the light and knowledge that comes from God. And so having a candlestick or a lampstand in Moses' temple would have drawn my thoughts at least to that. The altar of sacrifice. I thought about it being a place to give up our sins, um, a physical representation of where we could put our sins on the altar and giving up the natural man as well. Uh, having something where obviously now with with the full gospel it's it's you don't need a altar you don't need a place to do that just getting you know on your knees at your bedside you can give up your sins and and pray for forgiveness but having that that actual representation would be a really big symbolism it also my thoughts kind of turn to the sacrament I've always thought, and I think for wrong, I think for false, I've thought, like, well, for, for the, not the full truth. The, to partake of the sacrament, well, obviously we don't need to be perfect, and I've never thought that you need to be fully clean. I did think there needed to be a level of cleanliness uh, within ourselves to be able to partake of the sacrament. There's a reason for this thought, obviously, if... if uh, if someone has sinned to the level that it requires talking to a bishop or a priesthood leader to be able to receive help and, and guidance and counseling over those sins. Uh, one of the things that a bishop can do is have someone not partake of the sacrament for a certain amount of time. That's to help them. So so that's where that thought came from, and, and I know that's true, so I'm not going against any of that counsel or wisdom. But I also think that, I mean, recognizing that the reason for taking the sacrament is because we sin not because we don't sin. And of course, I knew that, but I, I just, reading it when they were making their animal sacrifices as an offering because of their sins, really put that into perspective of, of something I've just never thought of it like that, where I've looked at the sacrament as something that cleanses my sins, but not that I am partaking it as an offering of me giving up my sins of the week. And so that was kind of an interesting thought that I, it really turned my mind on that to, I think, give me probably, I mean, I'm sure you've already been thinking about this, but it gave me a more powerful thing to be thinking about and taking the sacrament each week 
and and how it's it's not just me asking forgiveness, but it really is that handing over to God. Uh, he gives me his his flesh and his blood, and in return, I'm giving him my sins. Such a lopsided trade, but one that requires full agency to do. And then finally, the example given is the the laver, laver, laver. I don't know how to pronounce. It. I think it's laver, the basin of water. And I thought about how it, you know, this was served to wash and prepare the the priests, the servants, but also to prepare the people to meet God, and how it's symbolic of cleansing ourselves, ourselves from sin, uh, from, you know the spots that we pick up and the, the dirt marks we pick up as we sin. So not only was it a washing of a physical body, but it was a representation of the washings of our spiritual body as well, our souls. And I just think that that really means that we do need to take steps uh, more than just seeking forgiveness, but also taking real steps of sacrifice to put in the time and effort to be clean, to to cleanse our bodies both spiritually and physically, when we are seeking to go before the Lord. I don't think that means that we need to take a shower every single time that we pray or read our scriptures, but definitely going before the Lord, especially when you are seeking real answers, not just your, you know, you. I wake up every morning and roll right out of bed and onto my knees so that I can say my morning prayers. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a good thing. But I also think if I'm going to the Lord for real answers and seeking real answers, I am more likely to get those as I put in that that time to be spiritually and physically clean. So maybe it does require taking a shower and, uh, you know, washing my face a little bit, brushing my teeth even. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but I, I do think there is, well, sometimes it can feel silly making those, those, uh, I don't know, physical activities. There is a symbolism to it that shows that your heart is truly willing and ready to receive the, what the Lord has for you, and I think that's important. Uh, so then, finally, I wanted to talk about how, with their temple, kind of what they had. So they had a tabernacle, and there was only one entrance. Uh, there was a courtyard representing the terrestrial, or no, excuse me, the telestial realm, right? This outer courtyard where, uh, representing our world. And then... Uh, there was an altar there representing the sacrifice of Christ. There was a tent. It had two rooms. There was the holy place representing the terrestrial world. And then uh, also where, you know, those who could enter in were living by the words and, and teachings of the Holy Ghost. So once we enter that covenant with God where we get baptized and we receive the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, Essentially, as long as we live worthy of those covenants, we have entered into the terrestrial sphere or what we need to do, what we are required to do to be able to inherit that. And then there was also uh, daily prayer. But finally, there was the Holy of Holies, representing the celestial world, where very strict to be able to enter in. It was only the priest, the high priest, excuse me, that would enter in there. And it required obedience to every single law. The very thing that we are striving to do right now, uh, we have made covenants to be able to enter the terrestrial sphere, and now we are trying to live worthy of every single covenant and promise we make, uh, including all those made in the temple, of receiving our endowment 
and our sealing covenants. And as we do that, we enter into a celestial living, a celestial law, where we can inherit all that God has. And so uh, really just turned my thoughts, I mean, 100% to the temple. All I could think about is everything we learn in the temple, all the things that we do in the temple. And I think it, I mean, I just feel like everyone who's ever going to enter into our temple needs to have read this this reading section. I think it's really important. And I, help, I think it helps make it where it's the symbolism and the actions we perform in the temple make a whole lot of sense when we recognize that this has been from Adam all the way till current and present time. Um, so while... I think in our current modern time, there is a wariness to performing rituals or or traditions, uh, things of that nature, when we're able to recognize that it is binding our hearts to our forefathers and that this has been given from Father Adam and Mother Eve all the way from then until now, it really changes the whole meaning of the temple for anyone who enters in there. And so... This final line that I'll read and that I'll leave you with is that it says, of course, simply being in holy places doesn't make us holy. And that's 100% true. It's, um, we can go to church every single week. It's being in a holy place. Churches are holy places. We can make our houses holy places as well, and we should be doing so. We could go to the temple, but just going to the physical location will never bring about the full change that's required to make us holy. Our heart, our heart has to be in it. And it's, uh, I mean, it requires everything. It really does. Like, and I think about it all the time that I'm like, I just I get so frustrated by the natural man in me that I'm like, I am so far away from holiness. It just feels like I'm so far all the time. But that is what we're in. We, we are doing this together where we are, as we go to these holy places and as we find ourselves in holy places, then binding our hearts and truly giving ourselves, giving our, putting our hearts on this symbolic altar and saying, God, please change me. Help me to become a better person. I'm not going to be perfect tomorrow. Heck, I'm not even going to be perfect for a lifetime, but I will come every day and put my heart on this altar. Please change me. And I promise that over time we will not only change, but we will see and recognize the changes. We've got a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of ground to cover, but it's those 1% changes every single day as we do this, and we don't stop, and we don't get discouraged when change doesn't happen as fast as we want it to. And that's, that's something for me. I get discouraged that I don't change as fast as I'd like to. But as we do that, that is how we become ready to enter into the, you know, quote-unquote holy of holies or the celestial kingdom. And that is my testimony. I know that to be true. So the Lord has asked us to become holy. What can you do this week and to, to follow that admonition? Thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.